Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Guys, I am here with writer director Todd Sheets. We're going to be talking about a really exciting re-release. Visual Vengeance is going to be releasing Moonchild on Blu-ray, and it's going to have a digital release as well. Is that right? I I believe so. I I don't know all the particulars. I do know about the Blu-ray. It's a very big deluxe whole package thing, kind of like a criterion treatment for for (laughs) B-movies. No, that's exciting. And that's going to be on October 11th. Uh, Do you know where people will be able to get it? Is it going to be Amazon? I I do know that it's going to be pretty much everywhere. It's going to be like partly Amazon and partly like you name it, it's going to be there. Uh, From what I'm told, it's going to be uh, pretty much wide release. So anyone that carries cool videos is going to have it. There you go. Well, you know what, though? I was looking at your IMDb page and Sir, you have a very impressive catalog here. <laughs> well, thank you. And it's, it's pretty of it is is horror. Is that something you've been drawn to since you were little or Yeah, I kind of was kind of um when I was a kid, the cheap entertainment was to go to the drive-in on the weekends. And so we would go to the drive-in and I would see all these crazy movies. Like my first childhood memory of a movie was The Boy Who Cried Werewolf with Night of the Living Dead on a double bill. And then the wow. third film was a, about a guy who turned into a snake called <laughs> And uh, yeah, it, it was uh, starring Dirk Benedict from Battlestar Galactica fame. And that was kind of where everything was. It was like a big, um, you know, a big deal back then in the 70s. You'd go to the drive-in and you'd see every kind of movie there was. At One night you might see uh, martial arts movies from China and then the next night is uh, some Spanish horror films from Mexico. And, you know, there was a big variety and diversity in the drive-in. And in those days, it was kind of like a cultural explosion. Movies like, uh, you know, Dolomite and Foxy Brown. And then the next night would be Count Yorga or some kind of a you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You, you never knew what you were going to get uh, because they would change the movies every weekend and you've got something exciting and new to enjoy all genres and uh, it kind of influenced my whole career uh it influenced my life really i mean those movies were kind of a but it was a uh, it was a fantastic time back then at the drive-in and and there anything was possible you know and so i was influenced by all of that and uh really big on horror films it was a, it was a great escape I agree completely. And I was going to say, I full heartedly, wholeheartedly would put forth that there's nowhere better to watch a horror film than at a drive-thru because it's just, you're almost vulnerable because you're in your car, you know, and anything could happen. The man with the hook could be on the roof, right? Yeah, it was a, yeah, it's like, it's a great atmosphere because, you know, before the show, the kids were at the playground or whatever, and then, you know, they would calm down, the movie would start, and then you could go to the snack bar between films, they had those great snack bar intermission, you know, Mm -hmm. trailers, and it just, it was a very good time, and it was a really good time to go and see movies, just because it was a, it was a different era, and things were uh, presented in a different way, and going to the movies was an event, as, as opposed to you know, just like changing the channel on the TV and, and they all had different movies. Whereas now it's like the, the next Disney thing, but back then it was always different. So it was really fun. Right. And no shade to Disney. Cause you know, Disney, but um, <laughs> it, 
right though back then and even into the like the 80s and 90s movie going you you went with intention like it was a thing it was a it was a plan it was the night right it wasn't just like oh let me put my pjs on sit down microwave some popcorn and see what's on tv no you planned you were like oh et will be out friday let's go you know you you called friends on the landline <laughs> and said right hey. it was true yeah yeah it was yeah yeah it was a very intentional pleasure you know and that's what it was and it was more of an event because it wasn't so readily available i mean god bless uh you know streaming but i i don't watch anything on streaming ever ever because the artifacting it doesn't have the purity i don't like watching things on a small screen or on a cell phone or you know i want to i i i'm still old school i you know, I want the fullest uh, amount of quality I can get to kind of remind me of what it was like back then. And, and also the indoor theaters back then, you know, we had indoor theaters that people call them grind houses now. But I remember one where I could buy a whole day pass and see every movie there. They had like six theaters inside of there and it, they played crazy stuff like uh, Blazing Stewardesses and uh, Night of the Zombies and Grim Reaper and all these crazy movies. And I would go in the morning and stay all day and watch these things and it was an event i'd call my friends and gather some of my friends up and we'd go down there and have a great time and it was a good escape from the the stresses of the week and earlier you know when i mentioned disney only reason i did that is because like every movie theater now has the same 10 movies playing in multiple theaters like uh you'll have a a, a 24 plex you know and they're all basically playing the same 10 movies and when i say disney it's because like the majority of these movies are like nowadays Marvel movies or, or Disney type movies, or even if they're horror films, they're kind of homogenized to the point they all seem to look the same kind of, and everything's a little different than it was in that era where the every every movie looked different and had a different style and vibe. And now it's almost seems like you have to make a movie to fit into this mold to get in the theater. So you have these movies that are CGI spectacles. Then you have uh these movies that are family movies and then you have and they all look kind of the same-ish like the animation and then you have like these movies that were like the superhero movies or whatever so and if they are horror movies they all kind of look same-ish as well there's like a style to everything but it's all similar um you know whereas back then even your animated movies could be vastly different in the style of animation you would see it would like really blow you away one minute you're seeing you know, a Disney type animation. The next minute you're seeing Ralph Bakshi doing, you know, Fritz the Cat or uh, or the Lord of the Rings, even he did an animation back then. And it was like a, a very different stylistic approach to to enjoying cinema, you know, and uh, it, that's the only thing. It's a little more homogenized today because it has to fit in certain uh, demographics to get in a theater. Whereas uh, luckily for streaming and for, for a while, their home video like Blu-ray and DVD you know you could get anything you want out on those formats and it was great but back in the day those movies used to play in theaters and we would go see them and like you said you'd uh, get everybody together and you're like hey et's coming you know we saw this trailer or for me it was star wars no one even heard of this movie out of the blue and i ran mm -hmm. down and watched it and there was like 12 people in there on the matinee and then the next thing i know the next weekend i'm dragging friends and you couldn't get in to see it because the lines went for miles and what's funny as well uh, you know at that time and again, into the eighties, like when I was a kid, it was at the movie theater and then that was it, you know? Yeah. 
for a while, yeah. And then it, it, it eventually when it went to VHS or, or Betacam even, or not Betacam, Beta, um, it would, you know, what is it, a year later, you might see it on the video <laughs> format? <laughs> or maybe, depending on the film, it might end up on TV, like, you know, on the cable station or something. Right. But you mentioned that animator, and I, I'm sorry, I forgot what his name was, but the one that did The Hobbit. Right. And that type of animation and, like, The Last Unicorn is... right. I have such like it's it's a kind of a a movie PTSD for me because I think it traumatized me when I <laughs> they're, they're kind of scary, right? I don't think yeah, it had a it had a strange edge to it, especially like you know you mentioned the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings one that they had Gollum and it was dark. I mean Ralph is a dark animator and he he didn't really make movies so much for kids as for himself, and so it had darkness and it had light and it. It had, uh, and you're right, Last Unicorn had moments of, of intensity, and they don't do that nowadays, but you're, you're absolutely right. They had nightmarish imagery in some of those movies. Very, very true. I think that's why um, uh, people like you and I grew up to be stronger adults. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> going back to the movie theater thing, you're right about the, um, the, the lack of substance, really. Like, for instance, you said a 24-plex. I'm that girl that as I'm walking to my movie, I'm looking at the other ones. Oh, oh, you know, to see what else is playing. But it's like the same movie in four theaters. And it's like, yep. what? <laughs> when I was a kid, we had Palms 8 and there were eight different movies. I yep. don't understand what changed, you know? Uh, the, the, the big studios pretty much took control of the movie theaters. Every once in a while, you'll get an independent that breaks through. It's very rare. You know, most of, most of the time, the the big studios, which are, you know, they're money-making machines. They sell, they sell movies much like nowadays, much like people sell hamburgers and saying that some people who are in charge at these movie studios have never even made a movie. They're just really good at marketing cheeseburgers for Applebee's and they get hired to be a, a main big wig at Paramount. I mean, this is really what's happening now. So there is a difference. Uh, whereas in the seventies, you worked your way up maybe you start as a copy boy and then you're the head of the studio one day because you, uh, you know about movies and you you created movies and you learn and love movies and you live it and that's what your career is and you understand the artistry and there's still some of those people around but they're getting fewer and fewer so I kind of urge all of the uh, studios to you know go for the people who know something about the art instead of just about the sale and it's hard nowadays I mean everything's so different but you know when we made Moonchild it was 1994 things were still kind of like they were i mean they were starting to kind of change through the 90s into the 2000s but in 94 we still had video stores we still had people you know going out and going to the movies and you know all of these movies that i'm mentioning all inspired what i did you know what i what i brought to the table on on that film and i wanted to do something different you know something original and uh, we came up with this concept and did it on like no money and uh, it, it has a little bit of horror, a little bit of science fiction, a little bit of fantasy. We just, it was really diverse. It was, a, it was, it was different. And uh, considering what we shot it on, it, it's considered kind of a forerunner to things that came after that, as far as like movies that were shot digitally or shot on video or shot on 16 millimeter that were done very cheap and then transferred over to video so that you could, uh, you know, get them in stores and give people something to watch. Because in those days, that was like the Wild West the video stores became our new multiplex because you could get anything you wanted there. 
So they need a product. (laughs) If it was sucked more than going to your blockbuster or your Hollywood video and seeing the case, but the movie wasn't behind it. You're like, Oh yeah. And even, even before that you had chains like movies at home and national video and uh, places like that, that were um, smaller versions like blockbuster Mm -hmm. bought them out when they came through. But those chains really, really set things up for us because they needed product badly and they loved independent stuff. They loved independent action and horror and uh, sci-fi. And they bought lots of that stuff and put it in their stores and spread our movies everywhere. Uh, you know, and it was really cool because, you know, Blockbuster went through some weird changes and sometimes they only got the bigger movies or they would get the higher end independent movies. But they also sometimes got the lower, lower budget stuff too. It just depended on who owned them at the time. And then when the Dove Group owned Blockbuster, they got rid of all the horror movies almost except mainstream. And then they got rid of them and Viacom ended up owning Blockbuster and they've got everything. So it was wonderful again. So I, I've kind of lived through all of it and seen, <laughs> seen all of the crazy changes. It's a roller coaster. And you're right about the, the smaller like video stores. What's great about them was that people that owned like video stores, smaller ones, not, not chains, like, you know, they were probably quirky anyway. So they were going to stock quirky stuff, right? right. They, they enjoyed movies. That's, you know, why they ran a store, I would assume. I mean, why would you not? And so you would go to your little local, you know, I'm trying to remember the name. We had one up here. I want I keep wanting to say power video, but I think that might be a porno one. Um, <laughs> I don't know, a family video store or whatever it was. And they had, yeah, you're right. They had like the weirdest, coolest things, you know? And that's because they were competing with the blockbusters. And when the blockbusters went more corporate, they filled that niche. And suddenly mm-hmm. you went down to that mom and pop store or you went to the smaller chain, which was like movies at home was a big chain, but it was smaller. And they had uh, a lot more variety. You would go in there because it, when you when the new releases were all checked out, one thing I noticed, because I used to be a buyer for some of these stores, and I even worked in some, when the, uh, when the new releases would all rent out, the very next thing people would go to is the horror movies. And it's like, uh, or the family movies, but either one. But horror was always a little bit more on the sales. And so people yeah. would run off to the horror movie and uh, you would have the most insane variety because they would carry things other places wouldn't carry. So they would get that business, see, the diversity going back to that, you know, right. pretty and- nice. Yeah. And people would, would go to Blockbuster and be like, oh, it's not here. Oh, let's check, you know, movies at home. And it's like, oh, my God, they have it. I'm coming here next time and first. Right. You know? Right. And also, you know, even with when streaming started and the funny thing, a little anecdote to that is Netflix still makes more money on their physical media rentals via the mail than they do yeah. streaming. I just had to throw that in. But when they started, Netflix made all their money off of the weird independent movies that no one else had. And then after they started carrying the Disney stuff and the bigger, the Warner Brothers and all these things, they started getting more and more into their own stuff. They started cutting out the independent little weird horror movie guys. And then everybody kind of stopped subscribing to Netflix because it was like, well, if you're going to carry the same thing that this guy carries, why should we we'll, we'll go with the cheaper one? You know, So it became one of those things where they made all their their success off of the backs of little guys like us and then turned it around when they got big and quit carrying our stuff. It was kind of crappy. 
that's what they did the streaming services and that's why i'm kind of like well okay well we don't need them anymore then we'll just right. do it our own way <laughs> that's why it's so great about this release for with the uh, wild eye because uh, visual vengeance you know this is a whole thing it's for people like us that love movies and love these weird independent movies and they're they're giving it a treatment like i never thought i would see i mean this is like they're treating these movies like they're the biggest classics in the world that have won a many Academy Awards. You know, mm -hmm. you know, Moonchild was made for, you, you probably couldn't honestly make a house payment today on what Moonchild was made for in 94. And right. uh, it was all done with heart and passion and care and love. And uh, even if we didn't know everything that we were doing because we were all pretty young, we definitely poured everything we had into it and uh i think that speaks volumes it, it's a good story and it tells a really neat uh tale and and people can feel that even though we may not have had the money we sure had the heart to do it and uh it's kind of people call it you know charming now or whatever but i uh i look back on it and i'm just thankful that all these years later people are still talking about it and they're putting this movie out worldwide i'm like oh my goodness you know, I would have never thought people would care. Uh, we made these movies because we loved movies. We didn't make them. We ne I've never taken a salary to this day on a movie I've directed, but I do it because um, I love it because I, this, these are the movies I want to see. So if they're not going to make them anymore, I'll make them myself. <laughs> well, Moonchild is definitely, it's definitely trippy, I think would be a good uh, descriptive for it. Quick synopsis, you've got... I got confused. You've got Moonchild who uh, his, what is it? His blood is going to cure something or is going to save something. And you've right. got crazy people trying to get him, right? Yeah. The, well, there's a sodality and they're, they're the bad guys and they want to, they're basically like the empire and they want to go in and they want to take him before because they realize that he could pretty much save all the all the good people in the world he's got this blood that can stop all this crap that's been going on this is in the future after a bunch of wars and there's some bad stuff going on in the world and they want to keep that bad stuff in the world because it's almost like the big pharmacy companies nowadays they don't they don't want him to cure anybody because they're making a whole bunch of money on all this stuff and they've got by keeping the people sick and down and underground then they control everything so he has the ability with his blood to pretty much change all of that uh, due to the experiments they did on his father, which also turned him into a werewolf. And uh, they were trying to make a super soldier out of him and they turned, they messed it all up. He had this kid and this kid's got like all this genetic stuff going on that can really help everybody. So uh, then they, they take the kid and uh, try to turn him against his father and try to get him to work for them. And, that's kind of where the story picks up and his dad's trying, his dad's broke out and he's trying to, to go and, and find his son and save him and, you know, defeat the bad guys kind of thing. And it's almost like a comic book story and uh, done in a, a very kind of fun over the top way. And we tried to do something that was original that I, I'd never seen anything like it before. So that was kind of our big plan. And uh, I'm really proud of it considering, you know, what we had to work with and how it turned out with all the costuming and, and all the cool stuff in it. So I was, it was pretty fun. The aesthetic of Moonchild is kind of Mad Max mixed with like, I don't know, like old, old fashioned, if that makes sense. I can't think like, I don't know, the Regency era or, or the peasant and the look of it. It's very cool. 
And it's so funny because it took me by surprise. Sometimes I'm oblivious and I'm watching it and I'm like, wow, they've really got that retro look down. They've even got well, the it, That's because it was retro. We shot it in 94. <laughs> Son of a bitch. But it go, touching on what you said a minute ago, and we're not, you know, I, I don't want to call out Big Farmer because I don't want him to show up at my door. But you're that's right. right. A film that's almost 30 years old, it's got a lot of, you can draw a lot of parallels to current events. Isn't that crazy? Is it, is it, was it foreshadowing on your part or is it just the world comes around and, and cycles and this is how we are? Really, it was just, it's kind of like any science fiction that you see out there. I mean, like with Star Trek, how many of those things have come to pass now? It's so weird. And I think we were just kind of thinking of maybe worst case scenarios if governments kind of went evil and and combined with the other governments and became this big thing. And uh, it, it was really weird that it kind of turned out to be true. I'm like, this isn't right. Where's Moonchild? He needs to come in and save the day. All right. <laughs> Spoiler alert, the, the werewolf. A lot of my favorite horror films are independent films. And a lot of them can be considered like cheesy or lame or, you know what? But the, the reason I love them is because like you were saying, you can feel the heart that went into it. You can feel the fun that went into it, specifically uh, with your film. The actors look like they were having a blast. They were having the time of their lives with their performances. Right? They just they look- were. <laughs> And so that's something that I'm happy to see. And I, and I love that uh, visual vengeance and, and wild eye is like you said, releasing it again and specifically worldwide. That's awesome because all these little things that we feel nobody else might know about these films that maybe like you and your three friends love, everybody's going to, you know, has a chance to see them now. I think that's super cool. I did too. And, you know, Moonchild was kind of an underground weird hit. Like the Alamo Draft House did a tour of Moonchild all over the country and wow. played it at all their theaters. This was a couple of years ago and had me come in and be a, like a Q&A on some of them and brought in the star Augie for a couple of them too. And really that's, they, I freaked out because I like the Alamo Draft House and I go to them and I went to the one in Austin. There's a few in Austin, but I went to the main one and walked into the bathroom and there's a moonchild poster on the wall this was and i went this is really weird and the next thing i know two years later or a year later they were doing this is like a year before covid and they did a tour with the movie and i'm like wow people really love this movie and also violent new breed i think also was another one we did after moonchild that really is epic and really you know we upped the ante a little bit and did a lot of stunts and blowing things up and all this you know Rudy Ray Moore's in it, who played Dolomite and a whole bunch of cool stuff. And we're like, I think it's great that somehow, somewhere, my only hope was to entertain people and to maybe take them away from stress and from a hardship for a couple of hours and let them just escape it like I did as a kid. And that's all I really wanted. And somehow it worked. That's actually happening. And that just does my heart really well. And at the end of the day, that's the most any storyteller or filmmaker can ask for is that their imagination did something to help someone else. And that's really what it's all about, you know? Yeah. That's kind of deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, too. That's it's the truth. Well, tell me about Grindsploitation, because I'm a huge Lloyd Kaufman fan. And when I saw your name in conjunction with his, I kind of squealed a little bit. Yeah, Lloyd and I have, uh, Lloyd's been a mentor to me um, 
for many, many years since I was a kid. I would write to Lloyd's and I went out and visited him in Hell's Kitchen and uh, he gave me a tour and really, really helped promote my love of cinema and, and my love of being a filmmaker. And he basically took me under his wing. So he and I have been kind of friends for a while. He stars in one of my films and I'll send you the link if you'll send me an email. Uh, House of Forbidden Secrets. He's one of, he's actually in the movie. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how I, it, it all came to pass. Some guys who were involved in grind exploitation contacted me, said, Hey, you want to get in on this? And I said, hell yeah, we'll make some fake trailers and have a good time. And so we did. And, uh, you know, Lloyd has always embraced us. I just saw him a couple of months ago. As a matter of fact, he came through and we hung out and he's a really uh, amazing human being. And he's done so much for me and for others uh, you know, I can't, I can't thank him enough for everything he's done to, uh, to keep us going when, when things were the toughest. And so, yeah, I absolutely love Lloyd. He's a, he's a good guy. Yeah. Uncle Lloyd trauma is some of the, I'm sending you my uh, email in the chat. Trauma has some of the weirdest, but awesome films. I mean, just like gross. <laughs> and oh, yeah. it, it, I love it. Like Newcomb high and, uh, the toxic Avenger, and Tromeo and Juliet, which is my favorite. But he's just, he's freaking amazing. And so many people have said what, similar to what you said, that he's a, a great mentor. He's a nice, you know, a nice guy. Uh, who did I talk to? Uh, Josh Stifter. He worked hmm. with, he worked at Trauma. And he said, yeah, he, glowing reviews of Uncle Lloyd. And I'd love to hear it. You know, really, you need to see his new one. It's called Shakespeare Shitstorm. And you need to check it out because it's in a, I, that's what he was here. We, we hung out and watched that. And I, I was amazed. I just, when you think he can't go any further, he takes mm -hmm. it about 10 more notches and you're like, Oh my God, I don't know. I don't know how you do it, man, but he did it. And it's, it's, if you like Tromeo and Juliet and you like the old school, like class of Newcomb high and Toxie, those are my favorites too. And uh, I think this one just was right up there with those. It's really going back to that, that ethic of, anything goes and let's blow the top off of everything. And it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to check that one out. So where can people, can people follow you on social media or do you have a website that they can check out uh, more about Mr. Sheets? Zombiebloodbath.com. And you can also go um, online to Facebook. I'm all over. There's two of my accounts on Facebook. Um, I'm with my dog on one of them and I'm with Fred <laughs> Owen Ray and Chris Owen Ray who are, both amazing directors and producers in their own right on the other one. So all you have to do is hunt me down and uh, I'll be glad to hear from anybody. I always, I, I correspond a hundred percent. I'm kind of busy sometimes, but I always get back to everybody and uh, I'm very approachable and very much a part of people who love these movies. I talk to them all. I don't separate myself because I am a fan at, at heart. And so I understand that you know, we all got to stick together out there. And I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you for your time. And thank you for taking, you know, if, if it wasn't for people like you, no one would know a thing about us, you know, about what we're doing out here. And you really are an important part of this whole thing. You guys doing these kind of shows and, and uh, giving us that love, you know, we need it. Uh, we appreciate it. And we would be dead meat without it because no one would know who we were or what we were doing about our movies or anything. You guys are keeping it alive. And I appreciate that. I think it helps that I'm a weirdo. So <laughs> <laughs> I love weirdos. It's great. Some of, yeah, some of my favorite films are some of probably what people consider like the dumbest films. So I'm absolutely fine with it. And I love talking to you guys because it's, it's almost like, <laughs> 
I get, I get little snacks when I talk to you guys and I, I feel like filled up. So I bet. Right. I appreciate it. So yeah, you're very welcome. on Blu-ray and digital release is Moonchild. Check out yep. uh, Wild Eye or Visual Vengeance. You can get it at Amazon, probably any uh, DVD store and uh, check it out. So yeah, I'll send you over some. Uh, I'll I'll send you over some cool links too when we're done here, so you can watch some of the other stuff. I think you'll enjoy it. Yes, yes, I I I will. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as uh, other stuff coming out, we did an Amazon Prime TV series uh, recently with my good friend and amazing uh, executive producer and filmmaker Fred Olin Ray. We can't give a whole lot away yet. He hasn't given me the okay. I'm kind of under a gag order, but I will tell you it's in the exploitation genre. It's fully full on seventies throwback and it's amazing fun time. And we have final caller out now that came out in August, which is a awesome slasher movie about a, a serial killer and a radio host. That's old school gore, great times. And we've got another movie that we're doing here soon about werewolves. Cause I love werewolves. So that's kind of what's going on for us right now. And uh, I really do want to thank you again. Uh, I'm supposed to go do another interview at eight o'clock. So I'm probably going to have to jump, but I just really love, I, I wish I could talk to you longer. We should, we should get back together and do something without this uh, time limit. That's right. We're going to do it. We're going to, we'll have to have a whole uh, <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman conversation because there's so many that's more. It. All right. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining me and you have a wonderful night. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.